1: High in the air, Brito back at the wall, Adios, Pelota!
0: That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're gonna
1: get. They're gonna get energy, they're gonna get accountability, they're gonna get structure, and they're gonna get support. And I'm gonna bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're gonna get where we hope and intend to go
0: you're listening to bags and Brisby on athletic podcast network
1: welcome to episode 220 of the bags and brisbee podcast i am grant Brisby. i'm here with andy baggerly and andy how about this? Tommy LaStella had 220 at-bats for the 2021 Giants. He is uh, the last free agent to sign for more than two years. He signed a three-year deal before him. Denard Spann with a three-year deal. The last player to sign for more than three years was Aaron Rowand. Um, should I check the news? Has anything happened?
2: Uh, <laughs> well, unofficially, unofficially, you may need to update that uh that catalog, yeah, um, and, and and you won't want to do the math um, when you figure <laughs> out uh, how old—not how old Carlos Correa will be in the final year of his thirteen-year contract. He'll be he'll be the ripe old age of forty-one. But how old you and I will be? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's
0: a long time. That's that's, that's, that's kind of
2: jacked up.
1: So we are here on an emergency Bags and Brisby podcast to talk about Carlos Correa. Ross Stripling. But mostly Carlos Correa, uh, who has signed a thirteen year deal for all of the money. Um, we actually did an emergency podcast that didn't see the line of day. We did one yesterday about Ross Stripling and uh, Sean Manaya, and we we talked a whole bunch. You were telling stories about all the off-the-record quotes, uh, that fight between Buster Posey and Bruce Bochy in the dugout, but <laughs> we we never yeah. got to that, so we'll just never release that episode. Today is all about Carlos Correa.
2: Yeah, yeah we got into everything. Melky Cabrera came on. He told us all about uh, <laughs> Uh, the steroids. The, the, he he invited us to do his Christmas shopping on his website. I mean, there's all <laughs> kinds of stuff that's on that podcast. It was just great, great content that uh, is never going to see the light of day because, of course, we got to update it now because uh, Carlos Correa went from being oh gosh, the only way the Giants can have a good offseason at this point is to sign Carlos Correa, I guess, and now boom, they've signed Carlos Correa. So, um, and you know what? I, our our site is just chock full. There's Keith Law. There's Tim Kawakami. There's um, uh, you, there's me, there's uh, Ken Rosenthal, and all of us really had minimal amount of communication of what we were going to write. and Every single piece is very different, and um, and even going through like your tweets today and retweeting um, the 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 video that that of Correa explaining what Woba is to Jimmy Rollins. I mean, this is good stuff to get to know uh, who the newest face of the Giants franchise is, and the more you learn about him, the more you're like. You know, as much as Farhan Zaidi probably just cringes at giving out a 13-year contract, uh, guaranteeing, you know, $350 million to one player, this is this is kind of his jam here. I mean, this is a guy who's going to help to sell a lot of the front office's vision within that clubhouse because this is a modern player. Carlos Correa is sort of the epitome of a modern baseball player in every sense, and he's kind of a throwback too in a few other senses. So, uh the more you learn about him, I think the more you get a little bit excited to realize that he's going to be at the center of what's going on at 3rd and King for a long, long time.
1: Yeah, I remember when I was writing about the 2017 Astros for the ALDS, so this is before the whole trash can stuff, uh, I, I talked to some people in the Astros organization, and I was doing this big long feature because uh, it was after Hurricane Harvey, it was uh, this really emotional sort of playoff run that they went on, and I talked to people inside the organization and I said, "What is? what would you think? If you're doing kind of a, a top-down story about the Astros, what would you want? to look at and uh, the executive I was talking to said they're just all really good guys who get along together. And he singled out Correa, who was pretty darn young. And just the idea that you had Correa from Puerto Rico, and you had uh, George Springer from Connecticut, and you had guys from Texas and Cuba, and they all just really rallied around each other. And I've always, since that trash can scandal, I've always been like, oh, dang it, because I was really happy with the story I wrote. Uh, It kind of lost to history because of banging on trash cans. But I've always sort of had a soft spot for all these players because I have it on good authority that they are uh, no turds, as we talk about. (laughs) Right.
2: I mean, you know, it does work out perfectly. If there's one place that's never going to forgive Carlos Correa, it's Dodger Stadium, where, you know, you wear a Giants uniform, you're going to get booed there anyway. So uh, that's going to add some more spice, I think, to the rivalry. And, you know, it's funny, I I, I had this conversation with Farhan Zaidi after he hired Pete Patella, who was, of course, uh, in the front office with Houston at the time. And uh, and basically, you know, the point was kind of made, uh, that Farhan's made the point, you know, he's got as much of an axe to grind as anyone. He was the Dodgers GM and, and just got mm. gutted when they lost to the Astros that year. But he's even been on record saying, you know, I'm not really even sure how much of an impact, how much of a difference the trash can thing really made. And, you know, they just sort of did it to a comical degree where it was going to be easy for them to get caught. Um, you know, and every other team in the league is doing something like, you know, like it's been said for age eternal. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. And that doesn't excuse, um, you know, the uh, uh, not not playing a gentlemanly game. But baseball's not really a gentlemanly game. It's not golf. You know, you don't fudge your scorecard if you can get away with it. So, um, you know, is it uh, is it one of those unforgivable type of sins? I, I don't know. I don't think it will be. I don't think that his reputation is is going to be, you know, it's going to be forever marked by this. But I don't know if it's if uh, if it's something that's going to keep him from being uh, potentially a beloved figure in San Francisco, and 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 clearly. Um, You know, the fans are really thirsty to embrace a new star. Um, You know, there was nobody to really replace Buster Posey. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see where Brandon Crawford's uh, final year of his Giants uh, career, at least uh, what he's under contract for, is going to end up looking like. He's never played a single inning, a single pitch at another position other than shortstop. And now he's got the the 2021 Platinum Glove uh, player, Uh, ostensibly you know taking this position so uh, a lot to really dive into with this signing and um, and I think it's uh, I think ultimately the more you know about Carlos Correa the more you just realize he's just polished he's just a very very polished individual I
1: was talking to Eno Saris yesterday and we were talking about the Giants offseason and he said his favorite players to talk Two and when you're talking to Eno, you are not talking about you know how are the kids necessarily. You're not talking about hey did you catch that movie. You're talking about nerd stuff. You're talking about swing planes and spin rates and launch angles and you're talking about uh, seam shifted wake. And you if you're talking to Eno and you're giving him good stuff and you're getting good stuff from him, you are uh, politely a baseball nerd in some fashion. And he said some of my favorite players to talk to are Ross Stripling, Sean Manaya, Mitch Hanniger, and Carlos Correa. This is before Correa (laughs) signed. And it just, it makes me think that Giants have a type. Not necessarily that they're friendly to Eno. I mean, of course, who wouldn't be? But that they are uh, the kind of players you can distill this information to. And you're not going to get it's not like they're going to side eye you they're going to embrace it they're going to come to you with ideas they're going to be hungry for more and with Correa if that's your guy and that is your uh, cornerstone having him on board to the point where you're talking about Crawford and if Correa's outs above average is going south and maybe there's evidence that uh, Crawford at short and Correa at third would help the team Man, I'm not sure. He might buy into that. You can show him numbers and go, I get it. OK, uh, I don't think that's what's going to happen. But I'm just saying, a buy-in to what the front office is doing is huge for a guy on a contract like this.
2: Well, and you know what? That one uh, clip that you shared um, where he's uh, describing you know, to Pedro Martinez and Jimmy Rollins, um, uh, why WRC Plus and uh, WOBA um, and OPS Plus are so important to him. Um, and he Basically, he makes the point look, You know, this is what GMs value. This is what owners value. The people who make the decisions uh, on how much you get paid or who wants to offer you a contract? This is what they're looking at. So <laughs> it is absolutely within your best interest. And he's like, and when I tell players that, boom, that that's it. They're sold. So yeah, you can look at Carlos Correa and say, well, let's see. Last year with the Twins, he had uh, seventy runs scored, twenty-two homers, <laughs> sixty-four RBIs. Okay, you know, but 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 then you look at uh, you know the WRC plus the OPS plus, and he is a top you know just, he's solidly top twenty offensive player in the game even though the counting stats maybe don't show that and i think uh, it just uh, sort of goes to he makes he proves his own point because now he can point to himself and say look I hit 22 homers and drove in 64 runs, and they gave me 350 million frickin' dollars. So, listen <laughs> to me when I tell you what's important. And I think uh, I think that's we've seen a huge change in baseball clubhouses because uh, someone like Eno could walk in and, and start asking pitchers about their you know uh, sequencing or their spin rate or usage patterns or whatever, and you know he would get a bunch of blank stares. Uh, and now <laughs> yes. he doesn't get any blank stares. Everybody is not only on board with what he's talking about, they're into it and they get the data, too. It's just been such a huge change uh, within the culture of major league clubhouses. And, you know, I would say it's, it's, it's certainly way different than it was 10 years ago and probably a lot different than it was even five years ago.
1: Yeah, it, always the change between five years ago and now. It blows me away. All that StatCast data and all the the baseball savant stuff that we have access to and in, in front offices have even more proprietary stats than that. It is wild. I feel like I have struggled to catch up, uh, and I was a nerd to begin with. So it's been wild. I, it's Correa, to me, if you're going to sign someone... For a billion years and a billion dollars, uh, I understood why Judge was the first choice. I understood why the Giants chased him because he was a butts and seats guy. He had the the history. He was someone who would propel the Giants not just forward next season, but before. Uh, or just he was he would propel the Giants in in fan favorites uh, categories. He would he would sell tickets. Blah blah blah. I understood that. But you could have always made the case that Kevin Correa was the best free agent available because of age, because of position, because of how he was likely to age. Uh, Eno, uh, well, I guess Eno's going to get some commission from this podcast, but he tweeted out stuff uh, about his uh, Correa's power and patience and his contact in his arm and how well he's likely to age relative to Xander Bogarts, Trey Turner, Dansby Swanson. And it's a lot of red ink, which is the good kind of ink, for Carlos Correa. He has a strong arm, he's got the power, he's got the patience. He's likely to age better than most of these guys, and he's younger. So it makes sense if you're going to dump it into a free agent, this is the kind you do it.
2: And you know what Mark Simon, who does a great job with all the Fielding Bible and, and so much of the The um, runs saved and the defensive stats. Uh, He sent me something, and 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 there's some really interesting numbers out there about Correa because he had quite a bit of wobble in terms of defensive runs saved from 2021 Mm. to 2022. But you know, when you look at like number of times he makes an out when he dives, it's like far and away the highest of any shortstop in baseball, and that Mm. it kind of tracks. It's like the reverse eye test. You know, you have a player who. Um, you know, like, I don't mean to pick on anybody, but Kevin Pillar is somebody that the defensive metrics hated. But you could watch him and be like, "How oh, he's making diving catch after diving catch. But the thing is, he's leaving his feet when, you know, a lot of really good really good outfielders don't even have to leave their feet to make those catches. And so you don't realize how good those plays are. And I think that Correa is probably kind of like that from a sort of shortstop uh, perspective. He's Somebody who, you know, just is really good at making routine plays uh, look routine, look, making non-routine plays look routine. And um, and he's just such got such a great arm that he can position himself a little bit deeper, uh, make more plays that way too. So um, yeah, I mean, and and in terms of sure-handedness, uh, there's nobody better uh, in, in the major leagues really. So um, you know, I, I don't know if Crawford's going to end up playing third base. That's sort of been what's been put out there. Uh, whether it's going to be second, we know that there's not going to be any infield shifts, and that's all you know to be determined, and and uh, and we'll figure all that out. But but for now. Um, you know, the Giants just made themselves better. And, and the other thing is, they still got, you know, about 30 million bucks before they would, you know, sort of um, nudge up against that uh, um, first luxury tax threshold of 233 million, I believe it is. And so they can still go get out and get, you know, Taylor Rogers. They could still go out and get Michael Conforto. Or they could still make a trade for, for somebody's outfielder who's making a little bit of money. Uh, their offseason is not necessarily done. And uh, that's, I, I, I don't know right now if you could say. Uh, that they're better than a third-place team in the NL West. And yet, you know, it's obviously been a very successful offseason for them uh, to this point. Uh, But, you know, they they still got some more work to do.
1: They do. They do. And when you were describing Correa as the the kind of player who makes the routine look easy and he makes the difficult plays look routine, uh, that reminded me of Crawford. And so now I guess we go to the idea of... What do the Giants do with Crawford? Because uh, I'm not sure if there is a plan that's set in stone. I wouldn't think that there would be. When you say he's never played an inning that isn't at shortstop, I'm thinking that's ever. And I'm talking every game he's played since he was maybe, what, eight, 10, where you're talking, you're putting your best player at shortstop, that age where you're not just experimenting, but you're actually trying to win, 10, 11, 12. He's probably played shortstop in every single one of those games. So... Is he going to be second base? Is he going to be third? I think there's a lot of value in a plus defender with a left-handed bat floating around where they have VR, you have Flores, you have J.D. Davis, have Estrada. You have Crawford to complement all those guys. That works so well. But is that really the best use of him?
2: Yeah, you know, it's It's pretty rare I looked this up after he had that just awesome road trip of Brandon Crawford uh, at the end of the season where he made like every play at Coors Field and you know he's played um, he's never appeared not only for an inning, he's never appeared for one pitch of his major league <laughs> career anywhere else but shortstop. And you laugh, but you know there are a couple guys who get knocked off this list because they literally played for a pitch. There's only five players in major league history who have played more defensive games exclusively as a shortstop, and those guys uh, you've heard of all of them: Derek Jeter, Luis Aparicio, Ozzy Smith, Elvis Andrews, and J.J. Hardy. Uh, Crawford is a little at a little. Past 1500, so he's right on the heels of passing uh, Hardy. Uh, like Barry Larkin, he played three games as a second baseman as a rookie. You know, uh, Royce Clayton played parts of four games as a third baseman on double switches. Uh, my favorite one is Jimmy Rollins, uh, who played his entire career at shortstop except for one game in 2002 against the Dodgers. And he was at the plate, and Giovanni Carrera threw a pitch that smoked him on the elbow in the top of the ninth. And he had a, you know, one of those funny bones stingers, and his arm was too numb to be able to throw. Uh, so Larry Boa was the manager of the Phillies. He moved him to second base in the, the bottom of the inning. Uh, and so Rollins played there for three batters. And then he moved back to short when a Dodger reached base and the short force was set up. So, so And that was it. That's the only time that Jimmy Rollins ever played anywhere besides shortstop. But sorry, Jimmy, you, you're in the box scores as a second baseman, so <laughs> you're off the list. And there's a huge point of pride in this. You see it in shortstops and center fielders more than anyone, where it's, I'm going to play my whole career at that position. And, you know, I, I'm sure it's going to be tough for, for Brandon Crawford to kind of maybe get past a little bit of that because, you know, everybody's got an ego when you've been as, as good as he's been for as long he's been, and it doesn't reduce at all what he's accomplished as a Giant. He's the most accomplished shortstop in Giants history. He helped him win a couple rings. He hit the Grand Slam in Pittsburgh that quieted a city. He has a seven-hit game, the first one in 40 years in major leagues. He has an eight-RBI game that tied Willie Mays Uh, and Orlando Cepeda's and now Jock Peterson's franchise record I mean he's done so many cool things in his career and um, you know if he ends up not playing his entire career at shortstop I guess that's one less cool thing but he's got a whole bunch of them so he'll be fine and I think that this is probably you know going to be something that he'll do I don't know if if grudgingly um, reluctantly is probably a better word but Hmm. uh, you know he's, he's a good person a good teammate so I don't I don't I don't think this is going to be a big deal.
1: Yeah, he uh, his end to the season defensively was incredible, and you wrote about it, and I, I encourage everyone to Google that and read it because it was a fantastic article about how he really picked it up because there was that road tripper. He's just everywhere, and, and it felt like he was finding his groove again. Uh, at the same time, you can go back in some of the best defensive shortstops in history who aren't on that list that you mentioned. Cal Ripken Jr., Dave Concepcion, they move to third base exactly at this age, at 35, 36 years old. This is exactly when they shifted over. Uh, It's not, it's not unprecedented. And if Crawford didn't have the 2021 that he had had, I think Correa might have already been a giant. I think there would have been a chance at least because he fits that sort of paradigm that where you see the Giants going after Bryce Harper, you know that they would sign Juan Soto or attempt to sign Juan Soto if you were a free agent right now. Uh, They like those younger players because you get more of that peak. The contract becomes less onerous. I think if Crawford had a dud of a 2021, you might see Correa. You might have seen Correa already in a Giants uniform. So the fact that they went out and got him now, well, that's just because Crawford's 2022 was kind of a dud. And what are you going to do? He's a franchise legend. He's an icon. He is responsible for two of the championships. He has so much history with this franchise. But at some point, you know he's not going to be, I guess he could be Omar Vizquel playing until he's 43 or whatever. But But at some point, you can't plan
2: for that. And if you have a chance to get someone who you have identified as a special player, you take it. Yeah, I mean, you have your Aparicio's and your Aussie Smith's and your big-time outliers, your Jeter's, uh, but... Um, you know, for the most part, I think you're right. Uh, whether it's Ripken, Concepcion, Crawford, you know, you hit about 35, 36. And that's the time when you're no longer a shortstop. And let, let's try, maybe, not to think that Carlos Correa will also hit that age and have <laughs> five more years and over $100 million still owed to him on this contract he's about to sign. Um, but, you know, we, we, we know not to freak out about about the the length of the contract. And this this is one thing that I think this point was made in almost every piece Uh that was on our site, and I've seen it elsewhere too. Which is, you think 13 years? That matches Bryce Harper for the longest contract in Major League history. Well, guess what? If the Giants had their way, this would have been a longer contract. It would have been 15 years, 20 years. I mean, they would have done it yes. to circumvent the luxury tax and drive down that average annual value, uh, so it's a smaller, you know, hit against a. Uh, um, the payroll that they use to, to figure out what if you're over the tax or not. So it's it ends up being 27 million bucks basically that Korea is going to pull down, and that's an underpay in the early years of this contract, pretty clearly given uh, given the way the industry values him. And of course, it's going to be an overpay. And I think the one uh, later on. But, you know, it it all depends on how they use him. I think that's one reason that Farhan Zaidi loves to stay so nimble with these contracts, these sort of, you know, love them and leave them approach to acquiring players who are free agents. Uh, Carlos Rodon probably being the most recent example is you get your production up front and then you rely on your own acumen to be able to find the next guy. And you're not, you know, paying for... uh, um, uh, you're not overpaying for the production you're getting from a declining player. And what's more, and I think this is the really bothersome part, uh, I think I'm word for word saying what I said on the deleted podcast, that we'll never see the light of day. Um, maybe I should, Tanika, can we just, uh, you know, maybe put that in right now so I don't have to say it again? No, I'll make it easy. Um, basically, you know, it's it's one thing to to be paying someone $35 million when they're, you know, a declining player. You have Albert Pujols in year, you know, nine of his contract or whatever. But it's a whole other thing to double down that investment investment and you're putting at bats into them. You're putting uh, plate appearances, you're putting innings into them when they're suboptimal and you have other players on your roster who'd be better but you're obligated. You're obligated to play, you know, that star player because you're paying them all that money. And I think that's a box that this front office, you know, that this Farhan Zaidi hates to be in, just does not want to be in. So, but you know what? I mean, if we're going to be honest about this, is Farhan Zaidi going to be in his current job in 13 years? Probably not. Is is Greg Johnson going to be the control person in 13 years? Eh, probably not. Um, am I going to be the Giants beat writer? Oh, my Let's well, not ponder that. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it, it probably is going to be a problem for somebody else, and um, and 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 maybe who knows? Maybe everybody's making a bajillion dollars uh, ten years from now, and, and even that number of twenty-seven million isn't so bad. Uh, who knows if there's going to be a luxury tax? That's that, that's like three CBA negotiations from now. So uh, worry about that another day. That's uh, you know that's the um i guess sort of the, the credit card payment that you decide to make because you're paying for for what you're getting up front and and, and i think it's pretty clear that the giants are going to get a good deal a good value in in what they get up front from carlos correa
1: yeah i am working on a uh screenplay about a dog who plays basketball and it's uh it's called uh air rover and if this becomes a series if this becomes a hit Maybe I become like an entertainment mogul and maybe I own the Giants. Maybe I'm the guy in 13 years who is making these decisions. So uh, who knows? 13 years, man. It's a long time. But like you said, it's it's done to get under the salary t- or salary cap. Well, yeah, it's not, it's done to get under the salary cap. Wink, wink. Uh, and it is uh, it makes sense. Would you? an eight-year contract for $350 million make sense as well? Yeah, it kind of would. But it, it would be more onerous when it came to the luxury tax. So I understand why they did that. Uh, don't perseverate on the years. Just focus on the next few years. Because I remember, uh, I'm old enough to remember, when the Giants signed Barry Zito. And people said, my goodness, his strikeout rate is dropping. His his command is getting worse. He's going to be a millstone. He is going to be a drag on the end of the contract. And he kind of was, but he still provided enough value in 2010 to... That was a key. If there's a below-replacement-level pitcher where Zito is in 2010, the Giants don't make the postseason. Uh, He helped, of course, in 2012. There's the Rally Zito stuff. But most importantly, he didn't prevent the Giants from claiming Pat Burrell on waivers, from claiming Cody Ross on waivers. That salary didn't hamstring the Giants to a point where they just couldn't function. It, they would prefer of, to not been paying him back then so they could pick the pitcher they wanted. But at the same time, they'll figure it out. In 2029 20, and 2033, they'll figure it out. Whether Correa is making that much money or whether he's been designated for assignment already, it's about the short term.
2: Yeah, the funny thing about that Zito contract is, on the front end, it was bad. I mean, he he had a four fifty three ERA in year one, a five fifteen ERA in year two, and and uh, and and yeah, it was left off the playoff roster in twenty ten. And it was like the ultimate sunk cost, and and then we have Rally Zito, and we have 2012, and he outduels Justin Verlander in Game One of the World Series, and he pitches him past the Cardinals and the DS, and and he's a hero, and, and and all is forgiven. I mean, that's that's kind of like the bizarro way this con, the con, these contracts are supposed <laughs> to work out, you know? Oh, he would still be terrible in the first four years. Uh, it will basically run him out of town. You know, he'll he'll be so emotionally distraught, he'll he'll call into KNBR and melt down, and um, you know, and, and but you know it's then he'll be a hero at the very end and and all will be fine so um yeah it's it, I, that boy yeah what what a tale books could be written i tell you and to me,
1: personally, the most value he has to me personally is his turn as the rhinoceros and the masked singer. During the 2020 pandemic, my family and I, when we figured out that was Barry Zito, that brought life into this dismal, dismal uh, pandemic home. And uh, I will respect him. I-, I sent a request. I wanted to do a story <laughs> on him for that. And he was just so tired of talking about it at that point. I wasn't able to get him, but it was earnest. It wasn't like, I want to make fun of you because you're in a rhinoceros it was uh, it was beautiful it's beautiful so uh, uh, Carlos Correa in a an echidna costume a spiny echidna costume in 2049 when we're uh, dealing with the flesh peeling bacteria that is going around how about that
2: yeah yeah so basically the the, <laughs> the race is, the races are we going to harness the um, fusion energy and make it uh, <laughs> make it you know deliverable to the masses? And uh, reduce our carbon footprint? Or um, is Carlos Correa going to be, you know, basically splashing around in in galoshes while going after ground balls at Oracle Park because of rising sea levels? One or the other (laughs) will will be taking place in 2013 or 20, 2030, 20 what? 2030, 20, 20, (laughs) 20, 20. good God, it's 2035. Every time I look at that, I'm like,
0: really?
1: yeah Yeah. one or the other will be our reality i actually snipped out a paragraph where i talked about that like i said when he's older he might look like he's swinging underwater but that's probably because he's actually going to be swinging underwater. Uh, it just seemed a little on the nose. It just seemed a little little too bleak for what is a happy, fun time signing. But, yeah, 2035 for old people uh, to think about. It, we were grown uh, adults when the millennium happened, when 2000 happened, and that seemed like a big deal. Uh, so, yeah, that's gross to think about 2035. That is, uh, it, it's almost as if time doesn't stop. It's almost as if age is uh, undefeated. I don't like that.
2: It kind of is. But, um, you know, it, during the lockout, when we were all trying to figure out what to write, um, we all got together and did a draft. It's like a fantasy draft <laughs> where you had to take a city, a ballpark, an owner. Uh, you, you could take one pitcher, one hitter, and a GM, I think, and put together your own, like, franchise. So I ended up with PNC Park in San Diego and Shohei Otani. I thought I loved my team. Um, <laughs> but Matt, Matt Gelb, our fine uh, Phillies writer, um, he took Minnesota, and uh, we said, well, why would you take Minnesota? He's like, dude, global warming, come on. <laughs> I'm going to be the only one who's going to be comfortable um, in a few years. So, yeah, forethought, forethought.
1: I've, I've actually done that uh, uh, bleak thing where you look through and you say, well, what place might be most unaffected by climate change? And uh, Denver, it turns out, has a lot of uh, backers. Denver, Colorado, the height for some reason, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we'll... Uh, have to go there and be Rockies beat writers, let's see what they've done this offseason. Oh, god, no, um, <laughs> oh, oh yes. dear, sweet, yes, Christmas. Um, no, it, it listen, uh, we're running out of time here, but Correa to me fits the roster. I wrote a lot earlier this offseason where it was like, I'm not sure about the fit, and it was almost because I was, it was a Correa or Judge situation. But if Judge were never coming here, if Judge had signed an extension last spring training, I think my free agent profiles would have been Get Carlos Correa. Figure the rest out later. This is the guy. And, well, the Giants got their guy for once. Yeah,
2: he was not going to do another one-year contract. He already did that once. And he was a unicorn as a free agent at 27. And he's a little less of a unicorn at 28. And he'd be even less of one at 29. So, And the the Giants were the team that 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 was sitting there with the biggest pile of cash and the biggest need. So they were kind of drawn to each other by you know circumstances as much as anything else. Uh, but, you know, they're they're about to, they, they made a big commitment to one another. And, and um, yeah, if you're a Giants fan who's been disappointed ever since, you know, like Vladimir Guerrero, basically, that they haven't <laughs> gone out and signed the big free agent. Um, well, you know, this, this one scratches the itch for sure. Uh, this has been episode 220.
1: Before we go, I'm looking at, at my drafts because I actually wrote a full draft ass article about Ross Stripling uh, that really needs to be updated because it was in the vein of, well, if they sign Correa, it makes a lot of sense, but I just noticed that underneath it is an article that's titled, all caps, do not pub, Aaron Judge, San Francisco Giants agree to XXX deal, colon XXX draft, and uh, I'm going to click on that and I'm going to take a screenshot because, boy, that is the world we live in. It, what a weird off season that has ended up with what I think personally is a very good off season for the Giants.
2: You know, the one good thing, uh, the one thing that I miss about writing running game stories, and it's the only thing because they, they've taken years off my life, is when you have a winner or a loser and um, you end up, it ends up not being applicable. And I, I've written so much copy that was just, that's just, is basically fan fiction now. And it'd be <laughs> funny to make a whole book of like fan fiction giants results that didn't come to pass. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, we, we didn't talk at all about the other moves, Mitch Hanager, um, Sean Manaya, Ross Stripling. Uh, probably another uh, reliever to come. Probably another outfielder to come. Um, yeah, it's it's turning into a, a tidy little offseason. Yeah, uh, I will let you go. But uh, my, my magnum
1: opus in that genre is my piece that I pre-wrote for the 2016 Indians winning the World Series. Uh, it riffed on that famous Sports Illustrated cover where they had Corey Snyder and uh, some of their other prospects. It was, mm, chef's kiss good. No one will ever read it. Just like no one will ever (laughs) listen to the first edition of episode 220 of the Bags and Brisbane podcast. This is uh, episode 220A. And thank you for listening. We will be back in the future. And we will do some sort of emergency podcast if there's a big deal. Or we will see you in the spring. But thanks for listening for now. We'll see you then.